time of Reagan and before the rise of Seagal, Snipes, and Van Damme, there was an age undreamed of. Unto this land came Arnold the Austrian. He was a barbarian, a demigod, a killer robot from the future, and he was destined to wear the crown of Hollywood upon a troubled brow. It is only his chroniclers, Mike Gillis and Casey Doran, who can tell you of his legend. This is his saga. Podcast de la Vista, baby. Oh, man, Casey. <laughs> for the memory of a lifetime. Oh, God. I thought it was for the, at the beginning. I thought it was for an anima of a lifetime. <laughs> recall, recall, recall. Oh, my God. It, it feels like my brain got an enema in a good way. It flushed out all the bad things and left nothing but light and joy. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Um, so, of course, folks, we are talking about the classic, the legendary Total Recall from the year 1990, directed by the legendary Dutch filmmaker... Paul Verhoeven, who gave us RoboCop. He's, he's like the master of squibs, this he is. guy. Lord of squibs. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> he gave us Starship Troopers. He got some severed limbs. He gets some of those here. And Basic Instinct. And a screenplay by Ronald Shusset, Dan O'Brannon. These are the writers of Alien. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And then a later draft by Gary Goldman, who wrote Big Trouble in Little China. No it's, kidding. Yeah. I did not know that. This this is kind of amazing. Let's get right into introducing our guest. We have Mr. Sam Mulvey of the Ask an Atheist radio show with us. Hello. Yeah. Well, actually, Sam, we're not going to do a total recall. We're going to start talking about the Transformer movies from Michael Bay. Fuck just because we oh, decided God. we're just going to, we're only going to do terrible blockbuster. No. We've decided we're, to make this as much like hell yeah. as is possible. Is this not the first time you've had me watch a good movie? <laughs> yeah. This might be. Yeah. This may be. This might be. That you come I'm, in and I ha we have to have you on for this, Sam. I remember the last time we were talking about RoboCop, you were beaming. I, I, because I watched that. I, I, I literally like. I remember loving that movie, and then it faded over time. And then I had that moment where I'm like, "Is it really as good as I remember? Is my are my childhood memories really that pristine?" And I went and watched RoboCop again, and it was fucking better. It's better. I yes. love that movie. <laughs> it's like all the ugly shit in your head as an adult. It gets better yeah. because you're like, "Oh, I see what they're doing," and that's a big part of Paul Verhoeven as a filmmaker is that Paul Verhoeven is a guy who knows that a lot of his audience is dumb and yeah. is coming to it for like the violence and the boobs. And he's like, okay, I'll give you the violence and the boobs, but then under the cover of all that dumb, I'm going to sneak a smart movie in that's going to take <laughs> shots at my own audience. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And it's, it's like under cover of dumb, this smart biting satire gets in there <laughs> and it's fucking wonderful. The worst of that is not this movie though. I think the worst of it, of the, of that is Starship Trooper. Yeah. Oh, yes. Of Where everybody, everybody thought, everybody thought he was like, yeah, fascism is great. Fascism is cool. It's like, have you seen the fucking thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's a, it's a lengthy Andy Kaufman routine that's yeah. built around, can we get the audience to root for a, a Nazi? Yeah. Can I have Doogie Hauser come out dressed like a Nazi and have everyone go, yeah! <laughs> because the music is blaring this like triumphant trumpets and you're like, yeah, yeah, let's torture that, that slug thing that we pulled out of the cave. It's obviously scared of us. And as someone who's read a, a lot of Robert Heinlein, he understood the mo source material because yeah. he hated the source material. Yeah. yeah. Like, he wanted to show you precisely 
what was wrong. That's an adaptation we need more of and more of these <sighs> days. Speaking totally. of an adaptation, this movie was an adaptation, and not the first, but one of the early Philip K. Dick uh, story into movies. This obviously after Blade Runner, but uh, is it called We, we can Remember? Be, we, 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 we can remember it for you wholesale. Yeah. Yes. So I haven't read the original. I think it's about taking a trip. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's about taking a trip to Mars specifically. No. Um, I can only imagine that he had Arnold Schwarzenegger in mind while he wrote this. <laughs> no. Some kind of speed-induced fever dream where he was able to see Austrian bodybuilder in the future. It, it looks like he kind of walked into this question. You know, Sam, we already know your, your history with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. So we got to just get right into it. If you had to sum up the plot of Total Recall in a paragraph or two, what is this movie all about? Um, I don't know. Do you want the actual synopsis or do you want the, I assume you've seen this movie synopsis? I think uh, we want the synopsis, I suppose. Let's okay, go right into it. All right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, uh, d- not Randy Quaid. Dennis Quaid. <laughs> Dennis Quaid. <laughs> Dennis Quaid. Um, or Douglas Quaid. Douglas Quaid. Dennis Quaid is the guy from Inner Space. <laughs> I don't know. They just call him Quaid. It's Quaid. I will be referring to him as Quaid unless I'm referring to him as the other guy. Uh, he has a workaday uh, job and an inexplicably onto him wife uh, in Sharon Stone. And he's just obsessed with Mars, and he just wants to go to Mars. This is the future. There's a colony on Mars. It you have your standard British Empire allegory happening, um, and uh, you and then he's like, and he just has he's he, there's a scene with him using a jackhammer with his buddy from New York. I don't know where this is, but he's clearly from New York. <laughs> the exercise from this jackhammer clearly has you know mileage will vary. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, um, and. Uh, and uh, he goes, well, and then he sees, in, and he's on the subway on his way to work, and he sees the, the commercial that I now want to make my, ra- my ringtone. <laughs> recall, recall, recall. Yeah, and it's great. And he's like, well, okay, maybe if I do that, you get the sense that he kind of, you know, he's infatuated with Mars, but he kind of likes his life and kind of wants to get it out of his system. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if he just takes two hours to get these memories implanted at this place called uh, Recall. He can pretend that he's been to Mars. He can remember those things himself. I might be reading too much, but that was my sense of that it. Was a, that's how I got it. Yeah. It's like, he's all like, okay, I'm clearly not going to get to go there for real, so I want to just burn this out. And I can go back to my weird construction job and my inexplicably hot wife. And, uh, I mean, okay, I mean, it is, you know, it is Arnold, so yes. I, maybe not inexplicably, but he, you get the sense that he's kind of a blue-collar, bottom-of-the-totem-pole kind of worker. Yeah. And his house is not, doesn't really give that impression. I'm guessing that his wife had some money in this backstory. Possibly, yeah. yeah. And um, they start, so he, he goes in and he goes for the, the full secret agent package. I want to be a secret agent. I want to do these things. Da, 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 da. They get, um, so he gets ready to get the implant in. And this is where the story becomes a little vague, and I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. And then, yeah. apparently, before the memories are implanted, he has a, uh, is it a psychotic embolism? Is it a schizoid, schizoid embolism, embolism, which is a, which is a wonderful nonsense yeah. phrase. Yes. I love it. It sounds bad, though. It sounds super bad. <laughs> yeah. You, I don't know what it is, but it doesn't sound like something you want it's, happening it to you. It sounds like something pops in your head <laughs> yeah. and you go crazy. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, what's actually in his brain stream? Like, I don't get it. Like, whatever. And I, I said, yeah, but this is the thing. I don't care. Yeah. It, you, you get the point across. Something Fucking bad is happening to his brain. And he gets in there and he's like, 
you blew my cover and uh and there's this big big scene where where salesman guy uh mclean oddly enough uh goes uh uh, what did you guys do? You you fucked it up. Da, 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 da. And and scientist lady slaps a nerd. Yeah. And says, uh, we haven't even implanted the memories yet. Yeah. And 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 McLean is like, oh, fuck, fuck, fuck. Okay, we're dead. We're dead. We're dead. We're dead. Wipe his memory. Put him. Put him on a on a lime scooter. And uh, <laughs> and and then so they put him in a Johnny cab and. Uh, which are robotic cabs, and he just wakes up there, and he's like, "What's going on?" And then robotic Don Knot says, "I don't know. You got in." And and then um, he gets a message from himself with the iconic phrase that uh, that get your ass to Mars. And then uh, he he performs there's self nasal surgery. Yes, and then he's in, on Mars. And he's being chased by Michael Ironside. And the biggest problem with Michael Ironside is that his character names are never as cool as his name. No. His character name is Richter, which yeah. sounds, you know, that's a pretty good action name, right? But if your name is Sam Mulvey, Richter <laughs> sounds like a pretty good action name. Your name is Michael fucking Ironsides. Yeah. That's your action name. I don't care what movie you're in. You are Michael Ironsides. And uh, and then, so he goes to Mars, and then uh, he masquerades as a woman that explodes, and then he meets a woman who doesn't explode, and and he re- meets in he meets he falls into the Martian uh, renegade plot, and he meets a bunch of mutated humans who can read your mind, and then he meets the the woman of the show uh, who's not Sharon Stone, and then um, uh, Melina, who who I think is is one of the best characters in the whole damn movie. Oh, she's great. Um, and then. Martian plot happens like it to describe the plot is to undersell this movie. Yeah, it's not the plot that makes this movie great. It's everything around the plot. And it's the it's not so much the attention to detail. Like we talk about movies that we love these days and modern movies. And it's all about so much attention to detail. This isn't about attention to detail. This is about pushing the fucking story forward. And it moves and it moves fast. Yeah. And so and then um, and then he meets an angry baby. (laughs) <laughs> and the angry baby reads his brain, and they find out that uh, the MacGuffin chemical that's being mined there is actually designed to power a reactor that will generate an atmosphere on Mars that's breathable. Yeah. And Kawada's like, God, start the reactor, Quay. <laughs> and, uh, before getting shot in the head. Before getting shot in the head. That was a very good impersonation. Well, actually, I, I wanted a... a um, uh, what is that? I actually have this written. I want a t-shirt that says Michael Ironside shot an angry baby. <laughs> he did. <laughs> there are some amazing headshots in this movie. <laughs> really amazing the, headshots. And, and I know that, Casey, you already said this. This movie is sort of a love letter to squibs. I mean, and yeah. I think this is, we live in an age now where everyone kind of wants to hit that perfect PG-13 blockbuster. And sometimes it's really refreshing to watch a movie that is so unapologetically rated R. Nope, there's blood on everything. Everything. Well, uh, not only, it wasn't unapologetically rated R, it was unapologetically rated X, and they had to cut out really? some of the violence. Yes. yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, this so is a... Just like RoboCop, they had, you know, some of those scenes where there was far, far too many squibs or too many guts hanging out, and they had to cut it back to get their R. This is a movie, when you get shot, you there's an undeniable you hit that guy because right. Right. when you hit him of course the blood pack and the little explosive goes off and suddenly there's blood everywhere on the set this movie wants blood on everything um for example like before when he's still on earth and he's they've got a a head tracker a tracker in his head and he performs that auto nasal surgery 
and they he pulls out like a golf he pulls a golf ball sized thing out of his nostril. <laughs> yes. And they clearly cut to one of Paul Verhoeven's very famous dummies. Yeah. Which are in, I mean you can tell, but they're in, so incredibly done, you don't fucking care. You're just into it. And it's like it hurts. Pop. And okay, so apparently this golf ball the whole golf ball has been in his head. The golf ball pedals open, and there's a and there's a probe in there. Yeah, it's like bullet size. The golf ball. If the probe was encased encased in the golf ball, why does the probe have blood on it? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Uh, and 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 uh, this is a problem that I had with reviewing this movie with you guys, which I'll get to in a minute. And or did the auto nasal surgery device um, create a create probe? that golf ball? Yeah, yeah. In which case, why? Because it would have been to make it more difficult, to make it obviously, for that effect shot. Okay, sold, great. Moving on, and then it turns out that Quaid was a, a um, was a memory and a personality concocted by Hauser, which yes. is the original personality of Quaid, mm-hmm. um, and Ronnie Cox. Oh, Ronnie Cox, uh, who always is always sixty one years old in any role he's ever played, even and when he was like twenty. That guy should be the bad guy in every action movie. He's practically the bad guy in every movie or everything I like. <laughs> yeah, uh, Ronnie Cox is amazing. He I, is. I hope he's just a. I, I I want him to be the nicest man in the universe because, and then he just goes to these movies and plays Senator Kinsey on SG One or oh he's great at <laughs> it yeah God, and I, he's amazing that's the thing that I really like about this movie and Paul Verhoeven movies in general which is that everything in a Paul Verhoeven movie is turned up to eleven that everyone flies into anger faster we get close ups faster. Everyone has this little sheen of sweat on them. They're just a little bit shiny in this yeah. movie. And everyone's about three seconds away from either slapping someone or yelling at somebody. It's kind of like everyone did a bump of cocaine. I was going to say, I think they sprinkled PCP on the craft table. Yeah. I- <laughs> it is, and it's again, like you mentioned, when, when Quaid's memory implant goes batshit, and the salesman is pulled out of a sales meeting to deal with this shit, he screams at the scientist lady, and calls her a dumb bitch. Yeah. And then the nerd guy goes, well, blah, blah, blah. And she just smacks him. Slaps him. <laughs> it's like everyone is just on edge. Yeah. And then even when, when Arnold he gets that, that message from the guy and there's like, oh, there's a briefcase waiting for you outside before I disappear. And he goes down there and this lady grabs a briefcase before him. Oh. And she fights with him over it. And she's like, I don't see your name on it. And he's like, I need this. And he pulls it away. And she just goes, well, fuck you, you asshole. And that was one great bit of acting from Arnold in that case is that he just turns around, bows slightly, yeah. and gets the fuck on. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. I love that scene. Yeah. So we should talk about this because this is like, this is peak Arnold, I think. I mean, this is the, this is the beginning of peak Arnold. Uh, before Total Recall, you never had a budget as big as this. No. Yeah. Um, this is like Arnold is going to be in a hugely expensive movie and a hugely profitable movie. And then from here on out, he's like, he's the tops. Um, but also, he is, he's able to act. He's able to emote in ways that he doesn't do, he doesn't, he has, hasn't really done before. So in the beginning, him playing Douglas Quaid, he's kind of like, shy and vulnerable in a way that he just isn't in any other movie like he's mo- except with twins perhaps mm-hmm. um he just is convincingly this sort of put upon like blue collar guy who's clearly under the whip of his wife yeah uh, and he's just sort of like okay honey like we'll stop stop talking about mars or whatever but they have really good chemistry they do have good um, chemistry but the fact that arnold can sell that shows how far he's came since you know conan what was yeah what was the last movie 
uh, on Podcast La Vista you had me on for. Oh, that must have been the last Terminator movie. Yeah. Oh, no. Okay, sorry. I Genesis. forgot about that one. Uh, the first one, I should say. Oh, was that's uh, he leaves in New York. York. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a long way since he, then. He's climbed a fucking... He's a, he's climbed Olympus Mons since then. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, as far as acting goes. Where in this, where before, he couldn't talk, nor he could he act. Mm-hmm. In this movie, he can act without talking. Yeah. Like, he's selling the, the Quaid character without without being an action guy. Yes. He's actually acting. Yeah. That's the thing that I, I really love of that is that he's flirty with his wife and it's believably flirty. He's yeah. also kind of embarrassed. He's also teasing her because she's clearly jealous of this woman that he has in his dreams of Mars. Yeah. He never comes out and says, I'm embarrassed with, by my fascination of uh, my fascination with Mars, but it's really obvious that he's embarrassed. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing that I love too, and this is the thing that I think elevates this movie completely which is it never explicitly answers the question is he a real secret agent under deep cover with repressed memories or is he living out a dream world of pretending to be uh, a secret agent and, and they hint many many times uh the fact that it, it it's is real a, that it that or no and that it's a dream yeah because like say for example they uh the salesman basically outlines everything that will happen by the end of the movie. That's true. He says uh, yeah. you'll kill the bad guy, you'll get the girl, and you'll save the whole planet. And he does all three. But he does. But it's that's the generic action plot, and yeah. this is a generic and, action. And plot And then movie. when they go to implant it, the the nerd tech guy goes, "Blue sky and Mars." Blue sky huh. and Mars. Yeah. Yeah. That's the biggest tell that. But but they plant seeds that it's real, and they also plant seeds that. Uh, it's not real. Like right. I, I think actually think the biggest the biggest tell for the and you know I think Verhoeven himself is sort of like well I'd, I I I try to push it towards it being a dream but keep it enough so that the audience can because if it's just a dream then the audience feels robbed and so they have to you have to sort of mine it to keep it uh, available. I, he seems he seems to say like the that from the moment he is drugged. Yes. Like, right after he's drugged, then that's the beginning of it. But the thing is that we, as the audience, see things that aren't in Quaid's field. Like, we Mm -hmm. see the woman screaming on the telephone and the the salesman being like, Bob, Bob, you gotta come in here. We see stuff that we shouldn't see if it's part of Quaid's story. Right. Yeah. I did want to, I really wanted to get this out of the way early, because this this movie tries to, and this is sort of a, this it would be a criticism of this movie Mm -hmm. if I cared about it at all. And I do not is that this is a movie that tries to sell itself as a did-it-actually-happen thing, mm-hmm. and a lot of people like me like to have that argument. It's a fun argument to have. I, I actually it, don't it, but it like doesn't. It. <laughs> but I think ultimately it doesn't really matter. No, it doesn't matter at all. I think the question is more important than having any kind of definitive answer, because yeah. it, the movie ends at precisely the moment that the movie in his head would have ended. Right. So you don't know where it's going to go. Either he's about to wake up, or he's going to stay in a coma forever, Or, you know, he's just a spy on Mars now. I mean, it's one of those three. And what I kind of love is that there's even a Vanilla Sky moment in the middle of the movie where the bad guys send the recall ad man in to sort of talk him down. It says, you know, you're having an embolism in a chair. You're still in recall, but you need to want to wake up and you just have to take this pill. And Arnold, of course, is like, this is bullshit. You obviously work for the the bad guy of the movie, Cohagen, and ends up shooting this guy in the head. Right. And it's because of that moment where he's about to actually take the pill. He's been talked down, and he sees that little bead of sweat going down the guy's head. Yeah, that's a great touch. And if he had been injected in that, maybe he can't do it. It's just, it's like little things like that at the beginning of the movie before any of the recall stuff. 
is uh, these bits where he talks about Mars to both his wife and a coworker. Mm-hmm. They always try to dissuade him. Oh, no, don't go to there. They but like, the look afterwards, yeah. the reaction afterwards is what gives it away. Where it's a question of, are they watching him for Cohagen? Are they... Are they watching a guy whose memory is erased to make sure that it takes? Or are they just going, wow, that guy's acting like a weirdo. Is he still going on about that? Right. And it's vague enough that it could be either one. I don't know that it's that vague. So, I mean, I, I get that people like having this conversation, but the movie doesn't work as a mind bender for me. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't care. Like, the mind bending part is like the, the whole mind wiping and reprogramming part is central to the plot and I love that part of it. It's it's central to the like it's central to the plot. Mm-hmm. But this isn't inception for me. This is something no. completely different. Um and I I prefer this. And so I've I decided when I was uh when I was young and I saw this movie in 1991 and um I decided then and I de- and and now that I've watched the movie again I'm I'm recommitting to this position. Everything in that movie happened. Okay, yeah. that's kind of where I'm it's, at too. It's fine. Yeah, it's, it's totally fine. And I I think that not just because not just of our desire to want it to be real as opposed to a dream. I think that there's enough stuff that's thrown into it to uh, the beat of sweat. I think is probably the the one thing. It's pretty telling because if he right. was a projection that was going into the dream as like an automated system to talk him down, yeah, he wouldn't have been nervous, right? Because he's totally cool up until that moment where he says, you know, why don't I just shoot you in the head? He says, well, you'll get trapped here. Mm-hmm. You won't have a guide to take you back. Right. And he's incredibly calm, and he just it seems more annoyed by a gun pointed at him than scared. Mm-hmm. So it seems plausible. And that is the one scene in the movie where Arnold has any kind of ambivalence about whether this is true or not. Because he seems to... And this is the thing I think that is kind of refreshing. He just goes, okay... I can clearly see and feel and touch and taste all this stuff. I'm going to assume that it's all real, mm-hmm. and I'm going to go forward as if it's real. And and for a and for a uh, what is it again? Something about embolism for a schizoid embolism. It's a remarkably uh, it's a remarkably consistent hallucination. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, I I have a little experience with that, with uh, hallucinations, and mine are never that consistent. <laughs> what I what I kind of love too, and this gets back into the sort of the world building of Paul Verhoeven, is it is an asshole world. Yeah. that we live in. I love the bit when they're like hooking him into the machine, and he says, "Oh, is this your first trip?" That sales the the tech guy who gets slapped later. He's like, "Ah, oh, don't worry, we hardly ever fuck up around here." <laughs> yes. and, or my favorite oh yeah uh uh we i want to show you this graph that that riding in a shuttle is way more dangerous than getting in recall they show you the death rates and it's very clear that the number in both columns is nowhere near zero (laughs) yes i love that touch the world sucks i kind of love that it's sort of like it's sort of given that the world is shit Mm -hmm. and we all just kind of live in it and we're desensitized to it like when he's watching that news footage of mars at the beginning of the movie you get to see like rebels getting put down they're getting like machine gunned on camera on this news footage and they're all just eating his breakfast i mean everyone is so desensitized well there's like this seems just like lawlessness is just like ubiquitous um but really they're they're sort of future of these warring corporations or blocks i guess the northern and southern blocks or the right you know no, the southern blocks that's why they need apparently space-based laser platforms is to uh is to have a deterrent against the southern block yeah which who knows what that is but you know that's less frightening to me than the usa today being the newspaper of record yeah yeah that was pretty terrifying (laughs) (laughs) we really are in the darkest timeline there Mm. is this our future (laughs) well that's a question i'm not like in this movie 
I think the idea to have nothing organic in mm-hmm. the scenes was definitely intentional because the, most of the movie takes place on Mars. And even on Earth, it's sort of this yeah, future concrete city. everywhere. Yeah. And so that always left me with a question. Am I looking at an apocalyptic afterworld or merely Southern California? Yeah, a little column yeah. A. Yeah. <laughs> like I, and that's the, that was one one question that was never answered, which I kind of like that it wasn't answered. Yeah. You have no idea. Like you get the sense that this universe is fairly autocratic and horrible, mm-hmm. but it's never explicitly stated. And they just they just this is the world as it is. Take it or leave. I, I tend yeah. to look at it probably more that it's like Mega City One and Mega City Two. Like okay. they, they don't they didn't say what city they live in. It's just a huge ass city, and it's just city all around I, you. I suspect that they dropped a few hints here and there that it was actually New York. The fact that uh, that people maybe. are gunning down. I mean, rebels. the subway. You would assume with the subway, but then again, the yeah. subway, the Times Square, the, the pared down Times Square looking area, right. the names of some of the hotels. Yeah, it's like. It, that's future New York. Wow. Okay. The 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 desensitized of outright violence and murders on news footage to me says everything about the society. Mm-hmm. That one when the guy one also knocks the camera out of the cameraman's face. Get that the fuck out of here. <laughs> one they don't care about profanity on the news and they don't care about somebody getting squibbed to shit with a machine gun. And that to me says that people are kind of cool with the government doing this. All right, so are we going to talk about bullet magnet guy? Yes. Which is what I named him, which is the scene that everybody remembers of this movie. Yes. The for escalator? A, for a very the good hum, reason. The human shield? The that, human shield. Yes. That poor guy. <laughs> I went into this movie thinking that that bullet, bullet magnet guy uh, was like one of the agents. That, and, no. and he shot the agent. And then used... No. no that was just some guy shopping for noodles. <laughs> he gets used as a body shield twice. Yeah. He he is like more whole than man <laughs> yeah. at the end of that. So wait and, a minute. Not at the, I think everyone talks about the, the bullet shield guy because obviously it's it goes on longer than it really should. Yes. And then it keeps happening. But no, like it, bullets keep coming out. But he gets to the top of the... He, well, the, he gets to the top of the escalator and uh, Richter keep running. And I think they step over over one of their own dead guys and there's an insert shot of like a boot going over it and like a ketchup packet sound going yeah <laughs> so that's that's how brutal it is Paul Verhoeven's like it's a, this would be a funny thing if I add in this guy's chest being stepped on after it's had like three bullets aerating his torso mm. I think that scene goes on for precisely the correct <laughs> amount of time yeah Verhoeven is yeah. always like you know what this, we could add another 10 seconds to this. Yeah. And it's always just wonderful. Yeah. And I, I think it's the same thing the way I kind of feel about CGI and then going back and watching old movies, also seeing PG-13 movies, going back and watching, which is that like, oh, God, this is way more jarring than I'm used to. And it makes it like heightens the feeling of watching, you know, like practical stunts and watching people like getting their arms ripped off. People like when he karate chops that one guy in the face at yeah. the beginning when Harry, his coworker, take him aside and go, You shouldn't you shouldn't have gone to recall, you shouldn't have gone to recall. I was trying to keep you safe by sending you away from there. And he karate chops one of his goons in the face and like a guy's nose bursts open. <laughs> and yeah. that was one of the, the, the first really uh, like big squibs in the movie, too. Yeah. yeah. His yeah, his face just sort of explodes. You're like, Oh but it's also a really good all right. This is what the movie is. Yeah, get ready. But it's also you get to <laughs> and see. And it just it just keeps escalating. The body count keeps escalating. Like it starts with four, right? And then it's dozens in the subway. And oh. then as you get to Mars, it's just like every everywhere he goes, there's he just a bodies. buzzsaw of death. Is, <laughs> is this not one of the movies that started the 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 media trend of too much death in in Schwarzenegger movies? 
Oh, I, it's was gotta, it this or First Blood? I can never remember. First Blood only had one death. That's true. But I think that... The, second the, Rambo movie had a lot more. Had a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Second Rambo movie is like practically attempted genocide. <laughs> the, <laughs> where if you look at... I think Commando probably has a huge death sequence. Um, the Terminator police station. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think this is one where it, instead of just being confined to one segment of the movie, it's sort of equally spread over as much of the movie as possible. And mm-hmm. it's not just Arnold either. Yeah. Like, no. just like out of nowhere, he, he first gets to Mars and gets, finds Benny, the, the, the overfriendly taxi driver, which by the way, they do have a, Chekhov's crooked taxi driver at the beginning of this movie. Oh, Cause, yeah. Because McLean, the salesman, says, you don't want to go to those places. They lose your luggage. Crooked taxi drivers. There's a nice hint there. Yeah. But when they first get in the cab, there's like an explosion. And then the rebels are literally shooting the security people. Yeah. Like, you're like, oh, this is just this is just what happens here I love Mars. Benny's and reaction. He's like, welcome, welcome to Mars, Mars man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that is some of the best world building, just that one line and the way he says it. Where you're yeah. just like, yay, yep, this is what the place is. Better get used <laughs> to it. And that's what I love, too, is at, at the end when... You know, Arnold is sort of all in, and he goes back to hideout in the Rebel hideout, which had hidden behind that brothel in a cave. Yeah. Um, Richter and his guys come after them, mm-hmm. and it leads to one of my favorite bar fights in any movie ever, <laughs> where they're like, okay, where are they? And he, he asks the question of the three-breasted prostitute that everyone knows about in this movie, and she gives him a bit of lip and walks away, and Richter just shoots she her in the back. In the back. And he squibs her back, and then, of course, it goes apeshit. Tony the Mutant, play, of course, by Dean Norris yeah. from yeah. Breaking Bad. Dean Norris. Uh, he's got the cool mutant vagina face uh, prosthetic <laughs> on. Kicks the gun out of the guy's hands, and it leads to this bar fight where like the patrons at the brothels just start beating the shit out of soldiers. Soldiers start machine gunning somebody, and then the the little person prostitutes grabs his fucking Rambo knife. Yes, it's like this giant fucking. It's like a sword to her, and <laughs> runs across the room and gores Richter's right hand guy in the stomach with yes. it. Yes. Oh God, it's fucking wonderful. It's pretty good. This is this is definitely we talk more about visceral satisfying violence. This is movie is full of visceral satisfying violence. But it's a perfect marriage of that and a, like a heady sci-fi story. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't sacrifice any of that or dumb it down. It's there, but it kind of knows where what side of the bread it's buttered. It mm-hmm. knows what it's yeah. going to be. And, and I think really for me, this is the most perfect marriage of Arnold in a different genre that we've ever gotten. Because I mean, Arnold. Arnold sort of exists as sort of a badass ex-soldier guy who goes on an adventure or rescues a kid or something. But in this movie, he's fully integrated into this sci-fi movie that this plot very easily could have starred like Michael Douglas or something. Yeah. So do you know the two actors who are going to play Quaid before this movie? I know one of them. I know one of them is, um, what's his name from Jaws? Richard Dreyfuss. Richard Dreyfuss. Second one was Patrick Swayze. Patrick Swayze. Yeah. So you kind of you roll that around in your head and you think, well, like I guess you could see that it'd be a very different kind of movie, it'd be a very different because movie, because yeah. it wouldn't it wouldn't have been Paul Verhoeven directing it for one, no, and it wouldn't have been over the top and bloody and like that's clearly in that later draft that Gary Goldman did, yeah, when Arnold came on board. <laughs> yeah, the thing I that I read too was that. Verhoeven came on board because Arnold sought him out. So I want to talk about this because this might actually be the first movie where Arnold as became a deal maker in his own right. Um, Dino De Laurentiis owned this, the draft from Shuset and, and O'Bannon 
for like 10 years, tried twice to make the movie, and then his company went bankrupt and belly up. And because Arnold had heard, had read, you know, he'd worked with Dino De Laurentiis 10 years before, right? Um, he read that Total Recall and he read the script and he loved it. He wanted to be in it and Dino De Laurentiis said, no, you're not right for it. So he kind of got like he kind of got a little insulted and yeah. so he thought felt like no I'm going to do this when he heard that Dino De Laurentiis was had scrapped the project um and it was up for he basically convinced the Carol Co guys uh Myro Kassar and Andrew Vajna Vaya Vajna whatever the two Carol Co guys um uh, to buy it and then he tracked down Paul Verhoeven to ask him to direct it. Yes, he did. So it was entirely the result of Arnold Schwarzenegger being like, we need to get this done. I'm like, we're going to make it happen. That's the reason why we have Total Recall. Yeah, it's all Arnold. Yep. Really? Yeah, he, he knows how to get this stuff done. Um, he loved RoboCop. Yeah. And he's really? I want to be in a movie like RoboCop. Nice. And he's I want to get the RoboCop guy. And he got some serious RoboCop he violence. He got a lot of RoboCop yeah, in this did. movie. Yeah, I... Um, like I, I say this is like I kind of wrote in my notes that when I wanted to like dismiss the is it a dream is it real because I I feel like it actually takes away from just the essential wonderful nature of this movie it it I don't know it it feels like it feels like less of a cool movie if we if if pe- when people make that the main question of the movie I I don't know I don't want it to be a question this is fucking amazing and um. Like and so I want to say that it, it's not that smart of a movie because people assume that movies with questions like this uh, are smart, and people without questions. I'm, I'm sorry, movies with questions like this are smart, and movies without questions like this are not smart. Mm-hmm. And so I want to say it's not that kind of movie. It's not that smart a movie. Except you are absolutely right. No, at like this movie hides none of its moving science fiction parts. This is this is. You know, it's an action movie, it's an Arnold movie, but it's still an incredibly high-functioning and effective science fiction movie. Yeah, Yeah, and I think it's one of the places, again, the Arnold sort of absurd absurd macho bullshit kind of creation, that character that he's played in all of these big-budget movies up until this point, it comes into this fully formed, not changed, and Paul Verhoeven, more than any director I've ever seen, understands how to use Arnold really, oh, yeah. really yeah. well. Yeah. And yeah. since we're in sort of that era of the movie, there's these little touches that really make that make the world building of science fiction really stand out. Like when uh, Quaid arrives on Mars and he's dressed as the the lady, the, the lady suit, and that actress it just owns it owns the whole thing but <laughs> it's one of it's the it's every time somebody says total recall i see her not yeah, arnold not true. the triple breasted lady i see that lady because that lady is amazing yeah, i don't know who so... she is but she owns every second of that but while she's walking to customs you hear welcome to mars federal colony for your safety and comfort we've provided you with domes yeah. <laughs> and what, what that's basically domes. saying is welcome to mars federal colony for your convenience, we've provided for you an atmosphere. Yeah. <laughs> You're don't, welcome. Yeah. It says something like, don't touch the glass. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. How well, sturdy is this? So, I, I'm, Welcome I'm, to Mars. Try not to die. Everyone who's seen the trailer is probably, you know, because this is the first shot they actually show is the exploding head coming off of Arnold Schwarzenegger, which is a great effect. I love that effect. Uh, so watching it as an adult now, uh, you, I'm in the middle of that scene and I'm enjoying it. And then out steps Goldacott. <laughs> 
Yes. Because Mark Alemo is on right. there as like the captain of the Martian Guard or whatever. And I'm like, Golducott shows up in yeah. this movie. He doesn't have a very big role, unfortunately. No, 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 he's, no. He's, yeah. He gets to butt heads with Richter. Yes. Yeah. Richter does They're no- all connected. Richter basically does nothing but butt heads with every single person that he interacts <laughs> with. Has zero, well, Richter has zero friends except for his Kirk Douglasy sidekick. Yeah. 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 I, who I kind of like. I like that guy. I really gets killed. And, yeah. <laughs> it, gets, it gets gutted by the little person, yes. which is a fucking great. Great death. That's a, yeah. Uh, there is a great interaction between the two of them that they've been basically told you're not supposed to kill Quaid. And, oh, God, Richter really fucking wants to kill Quaid because his wife or girlfriend has been living as, you know, Sharon Stone has been living undercover as this guy's fake wife for months. And it drives him fucking crazy. And he just says something like, oh, God, do you think she like? And then and his friend just laughs and goes, yeah, he's just like, yeah, it would bug me, too, if, you know, someone was porking my wife. And he goes, and I bet she hated every minute of it. And he's got this look on his face. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I got to walk that back. <laughs> it's just, but I love it, and it just, it's, he has all the fun of every middle management Paul Verhoeven bad guy. Because of course he works for Ronnie Cox, and Ronnie Cox is such a fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah, jeez. I don't pay you to think. I don't <laughs> pay you to think. <laughs> and he's just he just keeps telling him to basically shut up and be a goon, and you can just feel him just seething. It's like if this movie had gone on and Arnold had gotten killed at some point, this motherfucker would have killed Ronnie Cox. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. it would have. It would have gone there, but I just love it. I mean, that, again, that heightened reality when he's so fucking pissed off. I think part of it is because Hauser, the original person that became Quaid under this this deep cover thing, was a friend of of Ronnie Cox. Mm-hmm. That these guys were buddies, and that's the twist of the movie that I forgot about, which is that. This whole thing is a plot by Ronnie Cox to lead them to the rebel base. Yeah. And the only way to get past the mutant psychics is to have somebody with a clean brain that they think has turned on Ronnie Cox. Yeah. And what I love is that that moment where Richter's finally getting what he wants, that he's finally like gets his boss to admit we need to kill Quaid. That scene is 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 pivotal to the third act. And you see Ronnie and it's Cox. It's an amazing scene. Yeah. He is so he's just like Finally, you see this about goddamn time, and he leaves, and then Ronnie Cox knocks this like fishbowl over, and it's a perfect <laughs> cut to the fish gasping for air to his master plan. I, I have notes in here. Yes, fish equals people. Yes. Got it. It was one of my few criticisms of this movie is yeah. that cut from the from the fish to the mutants. I'm like, uh, wait, no, Paul Verhoeven movie. Nope, nope. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> This is good. Yeah, we're not doing subtlety here. <laughs> no, no. <there's> no- <laughs> Everything is at 11. It's the same yeah. reason it's like you're mad. There's ways to demonstrate it aside from knocking a whole fish tank over. <laughs> yeah. And going, God damn it. It's like the same way, too, where he's just like, he goes, we've got a plan, and it cuts to a close-up of Ronnie Cox until you fucked it up. <laughs> and I love that. Yes. I mean, everyone just jumps to the, the, the most emotionally fraught state yeah. <laughs> so quickly in this movie. And I think that... I think what we end up getting is like the prime perfect version of all of these actors. This is the Ronnie Cox that I want to see as a bad guy. Yeah. This is the Michael Ironside I want to to see. This is the Sharon Stone I want to see. This is the Arnold Schwarzenegger I want to see. And they're all at the top of their game doing the thing to the, the strength of all of them. Sharon Stone is the femme fatale in this, and then she, and of course, she goes to Basic Instinct, which is where the whole entire movie is built around her being the the hypersexual, like, but also sociopathic femme fatale. Yeah, and it started here, and this is when 
Paul Verhoeven like was clearly wringing his hands, going like, "I've got the perfect role for you after this." <laughs> oh yeah, and it's it's pretty great because it feels like everyone gets to chew some scenery, and everyone is having fun. Yeah, even even uh, even uh, uh, Benny. Benny, oh, the God. character who plays Benny seems like he's having a shit ton of fun. Actually, as well. I don't think the Melina character ever actually really chews scenery. No, she's probably the most straight across normal person in the yeah. movie. Yeah. But she does get to start by both kissing and then slapping Arnold. Yeah, groping, kissing, slapping. Oh yeah, so she grabs Oops. him. She yeah. grabs him by the dick when he walks in. <laughs> what have you been feeding this blondes? <laughs> I love it. And then her intro line when he first walks in, she's like. Hey, Hauser. Still bulging, I see. Yeah. I mean, stuff like that is fucking This great. movie is regrossum. Yeah. <laughs> what I, I love is that, again, we, we go to 11. We yeah. go to 11 right away. There's a more subtle way to do this, but fuck it. This is total recall. Is this Arnold's most guttural movie? Is this the movie where he makes the most... It might be. Yes, this is, noises. this is the return of the Arnold pain noise in a big yeah. way. I mean, the, probably the biggest contender to this was probably Conan the Barbarian. And there's way more of it in this movie. Yeah, there is. This is the Arnold pain sound movie. This is when I think of... Yeah. It's this one. He, he gets... Uh, his face uh, gets exposed to, to Mars at the beginning in the dream. His face gets exposed to Mars at the end, and he turns into a <laughs> crazy, bulging puppet. Yeah. And there's all this crazy Arnold ADR, which is incredible. It's, it is, I love it. I love it, too. I legit love it. You know, this was at the time, it was one of the most, ex- it was the most expensive movie ever made. And for my money, it's the most fun movie ever made about schizophrenia. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, totally. You're having a good time with this movie. This movie is full of incredible Arnold catchphrases. Again, Paul Verhoeven knows what he has. You've got to use it. Consider that a divorce. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love how it's just a headshot. And it's just so... And again, this movie is mean. It's super mean. It's it's mean in a way that you're not really prepared for. And it's... kind of hits you and you're like oh shit the same way when uh the dr edgemar the guy who is the the recall guy who tries to talk him down gets shot in the head it's like he has like a head squib i don't even know how they did that because <laughs> it looks like it fucking hurts yeah and then it's like he tapes his face on camera with this like it's a hole in his head that has a flap and he has eyes roll up and he dies like Oh, and it just it is it is it's mean and I think my and again I think this one has my favorite setup to Arnold catchphrase from any movie. Oh, it's uh, and I I really think it is. I laughed so fucking hard when the second part of it happened earlier on. Uh, Ronnie Cox is like, fuck it. I want my friend Hauser back. We're throwing you and Melina in these brain scan machines. We're going to revert Arnold back into Hauser. He's my asshole, uh, you know, sociopathic friend. And we're going to turn Melina into essentially like a brain slave. We're going to yeah. basically turn her into compliant and, and basically like a sex slave for Hauser. And he even has that like horrible Ronnie Cox face where he's like, eh, like any woman should. <laughs> <laughs> and she spits in his face because, and then he does a, a bad guy wipe the spit off your face because it's again Paul Verhoeven. Yeah, right. And then he starts to walk out of the room. And he goes, "Oh, we're we're throwing a party later. We'd love to have you and Melina come by." 
And Doctor, can you remind them when they come out of this? And then I fucking love that. That's and, really good. And then Richter looks right at him and goes, "See you at the party." Yeah, <laughs> and walks out of there. Then well, later when he finally kills Richter in one of the most spectacular deaths <laughs> ever, yes. they're fighting in an elevator. <laughs> He knocks him out of the open side of this elevator, and he's hanging on by his arms, and he's like, we'll die together. You're coming with me. And he he pulls back, and the cliff that comes up cuts his arms off. Richter falls to his death, and Arnold's left holding his two severed arms. <laughs> this is... <laughs> That image of Arnold holding the two severed arms is forever seared into my brain uh, because apparently it's one of the stories where Arnold had been trying to find a position in a, a place in a movie where he could dismember somebody yeah. and then beat them to beat the person to death with their own severed yeah. limb. This is a thing that he had always wanted to do in a movie. He always wanted to do it. And here is a here is a point where he's dismembering someone. Yes. And and apparently nobody ever wanted him to do this because everybody thought it was over the top. And you 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 have this one moment <laughs> where I don't know if if Quaid is break. I don't know if Arnold is actually breaking character, but he's holding Michael Ironside's arms and he's looking around. Yeah, and he's like, I got these. <laughs> and I love he tosses them down into the pit after him, and then see you at the party, Richter. <laughs> It's a great payoff. <laughs> it is. I laughed so fucking hard. Yeah. Oh my god. I had forgotten. I was so <laughs> focused on him holding the severed arms, looking around for a person to kill with severed arms, that I forgot the punchline was there. Yeah. And so when I when I heard the punchline like three hours ago, yeah. I fucking died. Yeah. I'm like, oh, all oh. right. This is actually really fucking funny. Yes, it's really great. And it's so it's it's a payoff. It's, it's a payoff that waited like 20 minutes. And I I fucking love it. I love the fact that there's this alien subplot in this movie. Oh, oh right, with it stays mysterious. I, I actually I timed it when I heard it. This movie you know this movie knows exactly what it is because within the first 8 minutes of the film you you know that there are aliens and mutants. <laughs> yeah. It's like there's like it's not a surprise for later. They they mention aliens and mutants and you therefore are primed to know that they're going to come. Yeah, the the alien thing for most people on Mars is the reason that asshole shut down the mine. Right. And he goes, "Yeah, oh, they found some alien shit in there." And I love the way that guy on like the subway says it because it's just like, "Fuck, that was my job." Oh, the biker Martian? The biker Martian. Yeah. I love that guy. <laughs> biker just, Martian like, is great. He goes, "I found some alien shit in there." And I, I love it. I love that it's this whole thing is built built around essentially the fact that he wants to sell people air, and if it's free, that he can't. Yeah, this is again the subversive nature of Paul Verhoeven, and this is also one of the places where where Verhoeven. I don't know how how aware Verhoeven is of of the science fiction genre, but this is so much. A, this is a movie that is so steeped in science fiction traditions and one of my favorite science fiction traditions i could this is this movie has a connection to dune straight up yeah mm, because you've yeah. got cohagen played by ronnie cox who's who's the dictator of mars who's who's the autocrat of mars and he controls by a phrase that herbert coined in dune he controls by a hydraulic despotism mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. dune was an allegory for oil right and so spice was the substance by which people were controlled on mars Air is the substance by which people are controlled. Sure. And, and, but what he actually wants, it, it's the same thing. Like in Dune, 
everybody needs water, but spice is the substance of hydraulic despotism. Um, in, uh, in in Total Recall, they have I can never remember the name. Turbidium. 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 Okay, yeah, uh, turbidium. Um, so iridium. Uh, <laughs> made upium. So, made upium. Yeah, MacGuffinium. Unobtainium. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um. So the that's the that's the 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 substance that gives him power is that substance, and air is the substance by which he controls the population. It's exactly. a hydraulic despotism movie, mm-hmm. and that is so science fiction. That's ridiculously science fiction. And it's all there, but it never... It's weird. For all the things in this movie that aren't subtle, yeah. the political stuff is surprisingly subtle. In a non-Vierhoven movie, all of the action would come to a screeching halt in order to hit you over the head with this premise. Mm-hmm. In this movie, the premise is ever-present, and the action never stops. I love it. I, yeah. I, the sets are incredible in this movie. Um, everyone is clearly having a blast in this movie. Literally, sometimes. Um, people are getting <laughs> shot out of, of windows. Um, it has some of my favorite Arnold uh, neck breaks of any movie ever, including one that I, you guys are are professional wrestling fans that there's a move called the DDT. <laughs> Arnold does a neck break that starts out like that move where you have somebody in like a reverse headlock and then he just lifts their whole body by their head and, yeah. you, and then somewhere a Foley artist breaks some celery. <laughs> a lot of neck breaking in this movie, he, actually. He like, steps on Harry's yeah. neck and he goes... Yeah. Well, there's a lot of my my favorite action movie trope. There's a lot of defenestration in this yes. movie. There's a lot of broken glass in this, this movie. movie. General. Oh. They must have, I don't know how many uh, tons of sugar glass they probably blew up in the last five minutes of this movie. But so like all of it. Yes. It's it's like if there was one thing while this movie was being made that you couldn't get anywhere for any other production, it's sugar glass and squibs <laughs> because Total Recall was using all of them. Wow. So. Paul Verhoeven may have used like Hawaii's entire sugar cane production for this one it film. He needed a guy like Cohagen to run the place. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck him. Corn yeah. syrup is the hydraulic despotism <laughs> on the set <laughs> of Total Recall. Oh, but that's that's the thing of stuff I love is again you have a oh god I actually listed it in my notes. See you at the party, Richter. Yeah, I actually have it just in quotes in my notes. No, nothing around it. Yeah, there it is. It's the it is the best Arnold death line. Yeah, it is it is my favorite. Oh, and, actually, but one of my favorites is not this scene. Oh, it's a different scene. Um, it's uh. When Benny finally outs, or it's when it's Benny's final attack in the drill. Oh yes, yeah. and he's got a tank drill. Arnold manages to find a hand drill that looks like a minigun because yes. Arnold will never not have a minigun, <laughs> and and so he's and he and he's like, oh, I'm gonna get the pilot. Where the fuck are you? Screw you! He throws the dude to death, and I love it. It's the wrong vowels for that kind of line. It's totally, it's complete in English. It's the completely wrong vowels. That's like the that's not the death line. I love it. Chocolate I... pudding. You know that doesn't sound right. Um, but it's 
my favorite Arnold hate death line. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's literally hate fucking somebody to death with, with a drill. Yeah. And he goes, screw you. <laughs> oh, I love and it. You actually hear his voice doing the. <laughs> you know, they, that's a detail a lot of people would forget yeah. is giving that drill some 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 heft. I mean, this is going to be a drill that it takes Arnold to lift. Yes. <laughs> and he pulls it out and it's just soaked in blood. Well, yeah. They pay off him. He's working those jackhammers for six weeks. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's how they true. pay off the jackhammer skills. <laughs> he finally used them. Oh, yeah. I just, I love it. There was um, one of my favorite bits, too. I, I listened to an interview a while back on a podcast I really enjoy called I Was There Too, um, hosted by a guy named Matt Gorley. I highly recommend it, where he talked to the guy who played McLean, the sales rep for recall in this movie. And he, he said, well, you're one of the few people who has survived a Schwarzenegger death grip. <laughs> and he was asked about that. And he said, Arnold was not hurting me, but if I had tried to get away, I wouldn't have been able to. <laughs> so there's there's some strength in those hands. Oh, the also that's a, that, that, that's a good statement of his physical control too. If he can make it look realistic by pinning you to where you are, yeah. without actually harming you. I I think uh, that's true. I think Arnold probably had the benefit of you know it's ten years now of him working with decent not decent to top end stunt coordinators on big movies who i i would assume by this point in t- i mean there's a lot of stuff that you can see arnold is actually doing a lot of stuff he's not but there's a lot of stuff that arnold is actually doing and you probably imagine he's picked up a lot of stuff it by 1990 about how about how to perform physically because most of his movies are asking him to do this you know two dozen times of movies yeah. to, to you know to, to sort of physically exert himself but try to do it in a way where you don't cripple or paralyze the person that you're on screen with while looking you know? like that you are yeah exactly that's the thing is yeah. that you there's a way that a hand moves oh, just practical the... stunts i mean we should just talk about practical stunts here is that everything is practical in this movie with the exception of the x-ray C- x-ray scanner right which is a that's a tiny bit of CGI. and i remember when when that movie was coming out and my and when i lived with my dad and my dad was my dad's religion is hbo <laughs> <laughs> And so I was waiting for this movie. I didn't get to go see it in the theater because my dad would he wouldn't take me to the theater to see a Paul Verhoeven movie. He'd wait till it was on cable and on then church. he'd and then he'd watch it with me. Sure. Um and uh and so this so so that happens and they go, "Look at these amazing digital effects that we did in this for this one scene in this movie. Apparently it's all practical effects. All of the mat shots and all that stuff are are all practical." Uh, I don't know. For the you mean for the rest of the movie or for yeah. the skeleton? Yeah, all it's all miniatures, matte paintings, yeah. pro- projections. But they did use computers yes, for, that. for for the little skeleton guy. Right. That didn't age I think, too well. Yeah. <laughs> yes, no, it's no. not it's not good. There's some there's a I think I still love that scene yeah, though, where he jumps fine. through the, whenever he jumps through it. I think yeah. my, my favorite bit of CGI, and it's very, very slight, it's a little bit of parsley, is the transition between puppet Arnold and real Arnold as air is coming to Mars at the end. That was CGI? I think the transition where oh, it's okay. in one shot and one it's a puppet that it slowly turns into real Arnold, I think that was done really well. It was done subtly, especially because that puppet oh. is not subtle. Every puppet in this movie, whether it be the exploding face puppets or the taking a thing out of your nose puppet or the quato puppet... Every time you have like a crazy puppet, or especially the, uh, the 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 fat woman and like the mask is coming apart and stuff, everything is amazing. Yeah, all of that is so good. Yeah. I I think I've I don't know if I've said this before, but I think I've seen more prosthetic heads of Arnold than any other actor, <laughs> and like yeah. three of them in this movie. Uh, it's, that lady it, in my head is 
always will for always and forever be the get ready for a surprise lady. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yep. That I don't know why that lady isn't more famous because that lady's it, performance in just that like two minute scene is and great. That part is great. The the beginning part where she looks like completely alien and like I have no idea why I'm here. But it's the part where she keeps repeating True, <laughs> and she legit looks like she's ripping her mouth off. Yeah, like you know, um, that was commitment. That I, was serious commitment to the role. And when Richter sees all that, it takes him a while. So he's like, I don't know. That's a little weird. That's a little weird. It takes him like thirty seconds to go. That's Quaid. Yeah. Which makes me think this isn't probably that rare of a moment on Mars. <laughs> <laughs> that some people just freak the fuck out. But I love Don't it. ask people if they're carrying anything on Mars. It, and just, how, it doesn't ever works out well. Yeah, it's weird because... I, I think the the passport, uh, the passport guy is probably the most capable uh, employee on the planet Mars. Yeah. Because yes. not only is he the one who's just somehow get, stays clear of getting blown up by the crazy lady, he's also the one who's able to close the doors when the explosion blows open uh, blows open the glass and people getting people start getting sucked out. He's the only one who has a head to just be like, I've got to hit the emergency button. He's good and, at his job. He actually does. Yeah. Yeah. Until that moment, he stopped Arnold. He's customs guy and chief engineer of the Martian federal colony. <laughs> yeah. This guy needs to get paid more. And also something with the Cardassians. <laughs> right, right. It's that guy, yes. right? Yeah. Uh, no, no, the 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 stamp guy, the oh, visa right. stamp guy is just the guy who was like, oh, how long will you stay? That guy? Mm. Different than Mark yeah, Lamar. I, I am not as deeply versed in Star Trek as yeah, you Mar- No, and you also wouldn't be able to like recognize Mark Alemo out of... Uh, out of makeup. You can, by his voice, yes, but... When he's got all that sh- the spoon head on and whatever, okay, yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. hard to recognize. Yeah, he's the guy with like the beret who's like talking to him about, yeah, yeah, we haven't seen him, not since you let him go. And he's just like, Richter's <laughs> just about to smack him before shit starts going down. Have you noticed that Richter is really careless with those domes in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Richter doesn't give a shit. Where he has to be told like three times not to shoot. I mean, it's Richter's fault that that window blew open at the, at the, at the place with the, the passports. I mean, isn't isn't that supposed to be uh, an indicator of just how much he's trying to usurp Hauser by yeah. killing him? He really hates this guy. I think yeah. he hates. I think the unspoken thing is exactly that he hates him because he, that's the guy who works for Ronnie Cox that Ronnie Cox doesn't shit on, right? And it drives him fucking crazy because it's like I'm a capable guy. I do all this shit for you. He tries to play along, where he even has that moment where he says something like, "Yeah, we've got this plan, Richter. Think you can play along?" And he just goes like, has a smug grin, and goes, "Yeah." It's like I'm in on it now. I'm in. I'm in. And he goes, "Yeah, don't fuck this up." Right. And it's clear. It's like, no, I, you're not my favorite. You're just what I have. Oh, Rick, Richter, Richter is the is the bully because he's been bullied. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's a vicious cycle. Right. <laughs> So I didn't watch, so I normally watch movies for for you guys with somebody, and it's generally Becky, um, but Becky was otherwise occupied uh, this time, so I had to watch the movie alone, except for the part where Ronnie Cox is ejected into the Martian atmosphere. Oh! Becky came down to watch that part. <laughs> it's pretty I great. I think she came down to watch Senator Kinsey die. I think it's what it was. <laughs> is, uh, is that the most painful death of the movie? 
Because it's drawn out. It goes on for a real long time. And the only person I think it goes on longer for is Quaid and Molina, but they recover. Yeah, they recover. Miraculously, but... Like a hole in the mountain blows oxygen right at them. That's okay. I think Paul Verhoeven admits in the the commentary of how ridiculous it is that it's sort of like... The reactor's there, and just immediately there's air. Like, oh, really? I think he, I think he, he sort of admits as like, well, that's it's just dumb and implausible, but it's okay because up until this point, like you've had to accept accept so many stupid things already. See, I thought that You're was supposed fine. to be one of the tells that this might have been fake. Mm. Is that he was able to recover so quickly? Like, I thought that, I thought that was an intentional play. Mm. It could be. It, it very well could be. Yeah. I mean, the the kiss against the sunset is another. Well, that's, one. Yeah, totally. Because yeah. that's exactly how you end that movie, and I I love it. Fade to white. Fade to white. Fade to white. Yeah. Yes. Yep. That is that was a smart move. I mean, yeah. everything with it, little things like that to go. Yeah, this is kind of a crazy movie. That this is that if you think about it, everyone being turned up to eleven is also part of that indication that these are characters that were written by people at Recall Incorporated. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, he's like a really awful, evil corporate government guy who has that awesome office and kills his underlings, and you know, it's kind of great, but it has all the the classic Verhoeven traits. Mm-hmm. Where there's sort of a marriage between sort of corporate and government power, that it's this guy in a in a fancy office who doesn't give a shit about regular people and is ready to starve them out or kill them indiscriminately. The, I mean, all of it is just fucking wonderful, and also boobs and violence. Yeah, yeah a lot of boobs and violence. Uh, I'll, I'll just spend a minute here saying that also this the score by Jerry Goldsmith is really awesome. Yeah, the, the, I noticed that this time. The fact that yeah. it has that it has a little um, it does it's not like RoboCop where. Uh, or like a Star Trek, even though he was a Star Trek composer, where it has an obvious theme that you uh, that you'd be able to, it'll get stuck in your head. Nor um, does it use an anvil as an instrument. No, <laughs> no, no. it pulls but back. But it does. A bit. It does have that that weird little like dream suggestion that which is their musical way of suggesting like the of the the surreal surrealness of what what's actually ends up happening. And also, I, I was reading uh, that he some parts of the score. He was taking references from Basil Polidorus's yeah the Conan uh, composer Conan, Conan composer. Yes. I can hear a lot of that, especially the way the percussion is done in it. Doom, 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 doom. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so it it really does feel like it's a fusion of, and I've also heard things. There are also parts of the score that really sound like a Jerry Goldsmith Star Trek movie as well. And so I'm kind of like, this is a very interesting fusion of lots of different types of scores that that serve what that dovetail well with a movie that is a fusion of lots of weird different film elements as well so thumbs up for jerry goldsmith yeah i think everything in this movie is working at sort of peak efficiency that's the part about it that i really like is it's i can't point to any one part of it that feels like a weak point um the script is very tight um everyone is doing exactly the it's kind of like when you watch another movie one of the ones that we watched and enjoyed on this this um the show was Running Man. And that's a movie we both have a lot of affection for. But I think we can all agree that movie could have been shot a lot better. Of course. And that, see, that's a movie that should have been Paul Verhoeven. Mm-hmm. But I look at this movie and it's not like I really love it, but it's really, I have to really fight for that but. Mm-hmm. And I think I just made a sound clip. <laughs> but <laughs> you you really have to, to scrounge. And even then, when you say it, it feels like you're just nitpicking. And I know you've said it a couple times too, Sam, where this movie has the perfect use of all of these actors 
in perfect synchronization. They're working really well together. Paul Verhoeven knows exactly what he wants and gets it. I mean, this movie has a voice to it. It's fun. It is great to multiple audiences. I mean, so if somebody who wants a dumb action film gets a dumb action film. Somebody who wants a smart sci-fi gets a smart sci-fi. Yeah. He actually wrapped the violence of, of an action movie into the immersiveness of the universe in which the movie takes place. Yeah, exactly. Which is, which is, it sounds strange, but it's executed so well, and, you, and you're buying into this world as you're watching it. Exactly. That's a big part of the world building. It sounds like you are answering one of our two our questions. Our first two questions. Yeah, which is, is this a great movie? I think, Mike, you've already fairly well sold if this is a great movie. So, Sam, is this, in your mind, as Total Recall, a great movie? A good movie, I guess. Well, so you guys have trained me poorly. Um, <laughs> okay. Because uh, I sit down with my laptop... And I, I just I do a running dialogue with myself as I'm watching the movie. Sure. And I recognize that a lot of my things that I look for is stuff that I can t- bring up that I didn't like about the movie because I it's a movie I already know I don't like. And so I'm trying to come up with a specific reason to say why Terminator Genesis is fucking terrible. <laughs> or why... Um, the reasons are many. The reasons are many. Or why Hercules in New York is a fun watch, but is not a good movie or anything like that. Um, and and so I'm doing that. Like, my very first line is, is from the very first scene, automatic blinds. It must be the future. <laughs> my second line is, I think I prefer the aspect ratio we ended up with in televisions. Because I don't think yeah. a perfect square works particularly well. <laughs> no. Um... And I, I realize I'm doing that, and I'm, and I'm reading through the notes as I'm, as I'm going there, and I'm realizing I'm not talking about the parts of the movie. I'm, I'm fucking nitpicking. And Mike and I recently had a conversation online about, um, so we mentioned, you mentioned one uh, sort of online property that you like. Uh, we bonded over an uh, uh, online property that neither, that mo- I, I loathe. We bond over a shared hatred on the internet. Yes, we do. <laughs> Which um, is and a rare occurrence these days. And that's CinemaSins. Yeah, they're I, awful. Oh. I fucking hate CinemaSins. Yeah. And I'm, I'm watching this and I'm realizing that I'm kind of doing a little bit of, of, of CinemaSins a little bit where I, like, I see something I don't like and I write it down and I'm going to mention it later. But what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to bring it into a cohesive narrative whole where... Um, well, I'm trying to find the part in my notes where, uh, like, the one point in the reactor room, the, mm-hmm. like, the, the third act, the, the central, f- you know, force or fight shooting bits of the, of the third act where they're in the reactor room. And Quaid has the holographic projector on. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's a great, great scene. And I, it's, it's, it's a great part of the movie. And then he gets to the point where, where he goes, ah, doop, doop, doop. and it's a literal circular firing squad. That's yes. 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 Like, it, it, like they surround him <laughs> and, and they all shoot. I'm like, how come they're not being shot? <laughs> yeah. This yeah. makes no absolute sense. And I write that. So my line, I'm going to read direct to you from my notes. It was a literal circular firing squad. Why isn't everyone dead? Second line answer. So Quaid can, make a quip and shoot them yes fucking duh yeah that's literally with the fucking it's in my notes and 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 i was like wait yeah that that's a logical flaw in the movie but it has an immediate immediate comedic payoff exactly which makes it hold together followed by a by the and that's a fake payoff yeah the real payoff yes is where he starts laughing goes ha 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 you think this is the real quaid it is I love that. <laughs> I fucking love that. I love that. Um and and uh and so, you know, I, I was looking for holes in this movie and the funny thing and I'm like, 
you know, subconsciously because I was getting ready for my usual movie process. And I, I, I approach this like a usual movie. But then I look at my notes is, is every time, like in like four points in my notes, I make a complaint and then I immediately follow up with why that complaint actually doesn't make sense in context. Yeah. Like everything, everything that felt like a gap was covered up by something better. It's got a payoff. Coming. It's got a whole, it's got, everything has a payoff. And, um, and for an action movie, that's the one thing you got to do. Yeah. And not only that, it, it, it pays off as the comedic, the comedic parts of the action pay off, the, the, the comical clownish violence, the action parts of the movie actually pay off as an action movie. It's realistic violence. There's a, it's very clear fighting. You know what is happening. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's all, te- it's all physically acted very well. And I think I've already made it very clear. It works as a very immersive science fiction movie. Mm-hmm. This is a great movie. It's in my top 10. It's wonderful. It is. It, I, was, it was in my top oh. 10 before I watched it again. This is one of, and when I found out you guys, like when you, when I found out you guys were doing podcasts at La Vista, yeah. I wanted to call dibs on total recall. I didn't want to push. But this was the oh, movie I oh, wanted you to had, do. You had dibs, Sam. You okay. had dibs. This is the most requested movie oh, for sure. that we've had. For really? Sure. Yes. Okay. Yep. Uh, so Casey. Yeah, no, for me, it um it I have to go and I now have to go change the bio on our podcast the Vista. Already page. did for you. Oh, did did you? <laughs> you asked me to. It's uh thank you, Mike, for doing that. Um yeah, Total Recall is my favorite Arnold movie. Um uh for all of the reasons that we talked about and the only thing the only thing that I'll put as a, as a point, which is uh, on it, to further what I said before is, um, this is the sort of the marking point for where Arnold Schwarzenegger being the indomitable, like, box office, like, unicorn, who's just, everything he's doing is gold, everything he's touching is working great, he's bringing in um, demographics of people who normally wouldn't go see a an action movie, especially, like, a violent action movie, are coming, including, like, me like ten year olds who, for the this is the first Arnold movie I saw in the theater for sure. I was way too young to see this movie. I, I when just, I, saw it. I just had a I just had yeah. a dad who liked science fiction, so of course he'd go buy a ticket for me. So I definitely saw this one in the theater, um, and it like I I have to I have to echo what you said, Sam. It it is a marriage of this great sci fi story inside of an an action movie. They all work well together, and what I can say about it now, like, you know, like. 30 years after the fact, or 20 years after the fact, how many years is it? It's, al- it's almost 30. Almost 30 years after the fact is um, everything about the effects stand stand up and there isn't really much that feels dated also because it's a Paul Verhoeven movie. So it's okay that people are calling each other a dumb bitch all the time. Um, there is so much to love about this movie. And I even think that people who are normally would be repulsed by the type of thing you'd see in a very gore horror movie, yeah. gory horror movie, would actually think it's acceptable in a movie like this, which is a testament to how awesome it is. Like, even there's there's one thing that you expect from, like, an Arnold action movie, an Arnold action movie with a lot of firearms in it, which is that the firearms are going to be cool. Yeah. Like, the firearms are always cool. That's not in this... The firearms in this movie suck. <laughs> <laughs> They're shit. He's using, like... High like calico copies of high points. He's using like Mac tens, Mac Mac elevens. They all look like they're made out of like crap. And then they and then towards the end of the movie, everybody shows up with these things that look a little bit like the Pancor jackhammer. Mm-hmm. And it's not. It's a fucking Cobra street sweeper, which is a terrible, which is a horrible gun with a horrible story. 
and and they just made Pancor Jackhammer looking bits. You've all seen the Pac- Pancor Jackhammer in movies. Have we? Yeah, there's yeah. only one. And it, I think it shows up, it, it's in a bunch of science fiction movies because it's a cool, futuristic-looking shotgun. Sure. Um, I know a little bit about guns. Uh, but, uh, and, and like, and I'm like, God, these guns are all cheap shit. And I think about it, I was like, no, every, everybody's armed all the time. Mm-hmm. Cheap shit guns are what you expect in this universe. That's like, what you're going to have on Mars. Yes, <laughs> Mars is a shithole. Like, like you, it's the one expectation you have from like the guns are going to be cool. Like, you know, with the minigun in Terminator Two or something like that, or or his his dolled out uh, dolled up uh, M sixteen in in uh, I, is it is it Commando or is it I don't know whatever. He's got lots of weapons. In He's Commando. got lots of weapons. He has all the weapons he has in all Commando. The weapons. And so this is an Arnold movie. You're expecting him to have all the weapons. He's got cheap shit weapons, and he's doing it because that's the universe he's playing in. Yeah, it's a cheap shit universe. Yeah. It's pretty great. So I guess we get into the final question. Is Total Recall a good Arnold movie? Yeah, I think it hits every beat from the over-the-top action, the macho bullshit as we talk about, the one-liners, the giving playing to his strengths as a larger-than-life personality with also allowing him to sort of smile at the camera as well. It, it, it checks them all off, and it was just like the biggest fucking box office success ever. So it's, it's up there. I mean, it's right at the top. The macho, and here's one of the things that one doesn't expect from action movies, is that the macho bullshit extends to the female lead. Yeah, yeah. she kicks all kinds of ass. Yeah. She rescues Arnold like three times. Yeah. And, and it's great. It's fucking great. Um, and she even gets that line too after Arnold kills his wife. And she goes, that was your wife? And he nods and she goes, what a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, it's, it's like this is Paul Verhoeven. It takes place in the asshole verse. Yeah. <laughs> and, it's all part of one timeline. Oh, that uh, that uh, I die, I that is now my headcanon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's the asshole verse. It's just it's fucking great. Paul Verhoeven's asshole verse. <laughs> <laughs> so Sam is is what is is Total Recall a good Arnold movie? I think it. I think it, it. I think it's the Arnold movie. Like I don't know. Like I can think of movies that are more Arnold, but this defined as you said earlier. This defined Arnold. This elevated Arnold from yet another action star to basically the guy you know this was this was and i didn't realize how much arnold had to do behind the scenes to make this movie happen yeah this is this is a great arnold movie this might be this is the one you put in the time capsule this one yeah that's kind of where i'm going too is i was thinking okay if i only have one movie to hand somebody who's never seen schwarzenegger in anything I really, it's hard for me to come up with a better option than Total Recall. I think this this may be the perfect Arnold movie. This is threatening the supremacy of my favorite Arnold movie, which is Commando. This is going to be, <laughs> if we if we get around to ranking these things, this will be a difficult decision for me. But, I mean, this is second era Arnold. Yes. Yeah. This, yes, this, this is sure. 90s Arnold, yeah. and that was 80s Arnold, where this, I think, is is one of the most perfect uses of Arnold, where this is a where, great example. Uh, you know, before Arnold elevates a middling or bad movie, and now Arnold enhances a really good movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I think this is a really great example of somebody who knows what their actor can do and doesn't just want to play the hits, also want to make him stretch a little bit. Yeah, and for me, this movie, uh, I, I I had trouble. When we, you first started selling me on Arnold Schwarzenegger and Podcast La Vista... 
you were defining him as an action star, where to me he was a science fiction star. Hmm. Between Terminator and Total Recall, and believe it or not, Twins. Yeah, Twins uh, is a sci-fi movie. <laughs> yeah, um, I like. I, I I thought of him as a science fiction star, but no, he's he you you clearly you you're, the evidence was clearly on your side, but. That's how much this movie means to me. This movie has some amazing, again, the catchphrases, see you at the party, Richter, consider that a divorce. Um, it has one of my favorite Arnold deaths where, where he is locked into the brain uh, rapey machine <laughs> and they're about to turn him back into Hauser and he rips the arm restraint out of the machine, like exposing this bolt and he stabs a dude in the neck with it. <laughs> and then he kills another dude by taking like a pipe and jamming it through his nostril and out the back of his head. I mean, and all the while he's got catchphrases and awesome lines and he's just such a fucking badass. And the movie knows how to make him fit. We said this with end of days that you don't really know how to fit Arnold in this movie because it feels like such a poor fit. Which is like, why is there a rocket launcher in this movie? Answer, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right. And But but this one, it feels so seamless. It feels like this may be one of the greatest Arnold movies. I'm. It's definitely on the Arnold um, Mount Rushmore. I have a hard time. Top two, top three, maybe even the top one for me. I mean, that's a hard thing for me to admit. I've, I've invested so much into saying, <laughs> Commando! And banging the drum for Commando that... This movie is fucking awesome, and Commando has got its work really, really laid out for it if it wants to top this. Yeah. Very nice. So, uh, Mr. Sam Mulvey uh, from Ask an Atheist Radio Show, thank you for joining us. If folks want to find out uh, what you're working on and where to find it online, where should they look? Uh, well, I, I'm on, I'm still technically hosting Ask an Atheist, but I'm usually only hosting Ask an Atheist like one month, uh, like two or two weeks out of a month at this point. Where I'm really spending a lot of my time right now is I'm building out KTQA LP, which is the, my radio station. And you can find that at KTQA.org. Um, that's, it's a small project I'm working on. It's been a long been a dream of mine, uh, to, to own a radio or to run a radio station. I don't own it. The nonprofit owns it, but I run it. And uh, so that's 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 where a lot of my creative energy is going right now. Right now, it's mostly technical because we're playing old time radio pretty much all time, all the time. And Sam, didn't I read something about some kind of uh, very heady project where you have folks interview you? Did I read this oh, correctly? Right. Yeah. I started a thing on Patreon because I'm shit at talking about myself. Um, and Patreon people want to know what I'm up to. And I'm low. I'm not I'm not a very good self-promoter and so what we what, what i decided to do was to have people on to interview me and it doesn't it doesn't have a name yet it's right now it's the unnamed interview show but it's a different person <laughs> interviewing me every week so That's it has awesome. a rotating rotating uh hosts but the guest is always the, the same. guest is always the same yeah um uh, the first, a, it's a very clever idea yeah the first week becky interviewed me and uh we talked about what i had been up to the second week colby interviewed me and we talked about uh my interface with mental health and i was like God, this got stupid private real fucking quick. Wow. Yeah, I was like, yeah. Um, I guess you got to be careful what you ask for. Right. I suppose. Uh, the third episode is being posted tonight because oh, wow. I recorded it last night. And that was with Ron John. And uh, he was going to interview me about baseball. But instead, we talked about uh, economics, sociology, uh, semiotics, uh, my pain with the atheism movement, and... Um, a lot of politics and it was just it was 
uh, me more heady than I think people are used to hearing from me, like, cause I was getting into some really technical spaces and, uh, uh, it just one of my usual conversations with Ronjon, which Ron, I've known Ronjon for twenty some years at this point, and uh, he knew me when I was a not known teenager, and uh, um, and that was fun. Yeah, and it sounds so great though. I mean, it sounds awesome. Yeah, you're yeah. both welcome to come to in literally any topic you want to talk about. I'd both like to have you on okay. the Patreon. Thing Absolutely, I'd yeah. love to do that. Yeah. Um, and uh, we get to the real truth. Yeah, <laughs> until you pull my my hard 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 card uh, press credentials, and I have to sue you. Well, you do that, and I'll be home in time for cornflakes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Sam Mulvey, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Oh, and uh, thanks again to our Patreon sponsors. Yes, thank you. So, uh, episode sponsors, we have five of them this month. Margaret King, Larry Brunswick, Tim Batson, Zuri Russell, and Sterling Taylor. Thank you guys so much. If you want to become an episode sponsor, you can check us out on our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash radio versus the Martians, or check the link on podcastalavistababy.com. Otherwise, we'll catch you guys next month. Podcast La Vista Baby is a production of Radio vs. the Martians and is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in beautiful Val Verde in Seattle, Washington. Our chief engineer is Casey Doran and our editor is Mike Gillis. Our original theme music was written and performed by James Wetzel with opening narration by Dan Lombardo. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, Paul Rue, Tobias Panshin, Scott Kramer, Kyle Hepworth, and Dan Lombardo. Please take the time to rate and review our show on iTunes and Stitcher and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please consider becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. Even just a dollar a month gives you access to exclusive episodes. And finally, you can find us online at podcastalavistababy.com and radioversusthemartians.com. Would you, sweetheart? Sweetheart. Be reasonable. After all, we're married. Consider that a divorce. That was your wife? What a bitch. <laughs>